<laughs> we work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Hello and welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stortfortier and I am not coming to you from the treehouse anymore at Theory Labs. I've moved. I'm in a brand new place. I'm still at the Brewery Artist Colony here in LA. But anyway, today you're going to hear from Trisha Edwards. She's from the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. She's going to talk to us about the importance of play to innovation. Such a great conversation. I also met her at the U.S. Play Coalition's conference back a few a month-ish ago. Um, but first, I want to get you up to date. I've moved. I'm not in the treehouse. It's sad, but I... I'm in this new place with my husband, just the two of us. We're no longer living in a communal space. Um, it's kind of hard because I learned a lot living there. But this is a great move. But it's not an ordinary move by any standard, at least not mine. Um, it's not like where you move from a place that has a kitchen and closets and rooms to another place with kitchens and a kitchen and closets and rooms. Um, it was a move into an unfinished space, meaning we're still building as we go and it's such an amazing experience to do that. It's definitely challenging because I've, in almost two weeks, I've only unpacked one room and that's the bathroom. <laughs> so we're still living like we're camping. Um, but it's but it's awesome. This new place has windows. We had no windows in our place we were in before. So now we have 14 windows and it's so much fun to watch our kitties looking out the windows at the hummingbirds and the puppy laying on the floor in a little patch of sun. Um, and like I said, this has definitely been an interesting time. And play, I've once again had it proved to me that play is of vital importance. Because just as I was kind of coming off the last episode, getting ready to publish another one, I got way sick. Like sicker than I've been in years. Um, just as we were starting to pack... Um, over the course of that, I mean, that was weeks of being just down. Um, and my husband threw out his back and then our puppy got sick and nothing's quite gone according to plan. Like Murphy's Law just hates us. Um, so I've just kind of been in a weird headspace. And every once in a while I'll get into that, mm, I feel sorry for myself place. But then I have that thing of going, well, have I really played? I'm kind of been kind of managing all the bad things, but then working on the move and trying to get my stuff back in order. Let me play a song that I like to sing along to. I don't have a voice, but that's okay. Or, or I don't know. Sometimes I'll just sit there and I'll watch my kitten. Well, she's three, but she's still my kitten. I'll just watch her looking out of the window. I mean, she was raised in a space with no windows. She's never looked out of the window and seen sunshine and trees. And I just kind of try to imagine myself as her. And I watch her looking out the window. And she just has that awe about her. And it's just so much fun to just let my mind wander off and to imagine what my little kitten is thinking. I know it sounds super lame, but it's just an example of how silly and little play is when we purposefully walk ourselves into it. You know, we don't have to go on a big trip or or start some new hobby or, you know, just 
let your mind wander. And seriously, it really does wonders. It took my my jaw from clenching and my mind from from spinning around a topic that I just couldn't solve in that moment anyway. And suddenly I was smiling. Suddenly I was not clenching my jaw and ruining my teeth because it hurt so bad. You know, it just play really does even in the littlest, the littlest, tiniest moments can just bring peace and kind of this strange like reset button um, that I've really begun to enjoy. But anyway, I don't want to, yeah, I just kind of wanted to say that. It's just been a strange time and I've decided to kind of take play in little doses where I could find it and still every day realizing just how important it is to bring play back into our adult lives. Anyway, this next few moments you're going to meet Trisha Edwards. She is the head of education for the Lemelson Center at the Smithsonian. Trisha develops the conceptual framework for the center's educational programs and activities, including Spark Lab. It's a hands-on invention lab, and it develops related instructional materials and evaluation instruments around invention. She's currently working to broaden Spark Lab's impact beyond the National Mall, working with partner institutions across the country to integrate Spark Lab activities into their programs. She's overseen installations of Spark Labs in Anchorage, Detroit, Kansas City, Reno, Greenville, South Carolina, and many additional sites are soon to open, hopefully in your town. She has led Spark Lab projects in India and the Ukraine, and she's going to be overseeing the installation of a pop-up Spark Lab in London in July of 2017, which is coming up really fast. So yeah, you're going to hear all about Spark Labs and what they do there and how they inspire innovation and creativity through play. So now, meet Trisha. Well, welcome, Trisha. I'm so glad I had a chance to have you on the show. Thank you. Sure, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so it was really fun meeting you at the conference, and I was really bummed out that I didn't get to see your presentation on invention and the creative process. And this was at a play conference. And sort of before we get into that, could you tell me a little bit about what you do at the Smithsonian? Sure. I am the head of education at the Smithsonian's Lemelson Center for the Study of Invention and Innovation. Mm -hmm. um, we are part of the National Museum of American History, but we are almost like a museum within a museum. So mm -hmm. we have kind of our own staff, our own public spaces. And of course, as our name suggests, we're very focused on invention and innovation. Um, so I really am responsible for anything that's public facing, mm -hmm. um, any kind of programs we do um, that take the academic research that we do that our historians and scholars do and puts it into um, formats um, and experiences that are interesting and accessible to the general public. That's really amazing. Yeah, that's I was as I was looking at it, it looked like something, you know, just like a children's program or something. And it is a lot of children, but I saw a lot of adults in there kind of digging <laughs> in. <laughs> really, really. Yeah, neat. I mean we our flagship educational initiative is something called Spark Lab, which definitely caters to children, especially kids six to twelve. But obviously, they come to the museum with grown-ups, like mm -hmm. parents and teachers, yeah. um, and so we try to engage them as well. And then we also do other programming that's specifically for adults, um, mm -hmm. um, that kind of opens up invention and innovation to them, and and more um, 
not not um, not academic, but just kind of at a more adult level. <laughs> but we still try to do a lot of hands-on work, even when we're working with grown-ups. That's great. Well, I mean, I guess the first thing that I think of when I kind of hear you, you know, working with invention, it just seems like such a huge thing. Like the inventors are these specific kinds of creative people. Someone like Tesla, you know, like. Um, Alexander Graham Bell, like these are very special kind of savant kind of people that just have this gift and they come up with something amazing and the world benefits from it. Um, but it seems like on your website, you're trying to encourage everyone to think about inventing things. And I just wouldn't even know where to start. You know, I don't think it's ever really been something that was taught to me growing up or even as an adult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's part of our mission is really to, uh, we want everyone to feel like they are inventive. We believe everyone is inventive, that not everybody is going to grow up to be like a Tesla or an Alexander Graham Bell, <laughs> but that we all are innate, humans are innate problem solvers and creative thinkers. And mm-hmm. so part of what we want to do is obviously celebrate people like, um, you know, Tesla and and Bell, but also kind of demystify invention that, you know, inventors are third grade girls and Mm -hmm. they're people living in um, impoverished parts of the developing world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are people in Silicon Valley, but inventors are really all around us. Invention is happening in lots of different areas. It's not just high tech and electronics. It's, um, you know, it's, it's really every kind of discipline. And so we really try to you know, open up, you know, what is considered invention, change the stereotype of who invents, and then Mm. provide people opportunities where they can actually practice being inventive. Wow. Yeah. And and I love that you, and you describe it on the website as it's STEM, it's, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, but also working together with the arts and creativity. Mm -hmm. That's something I hadn't really heard that much about before as well. Um, Can you talk a little about your approach and how you how you would go about teaching these kinds of things to children or? Sure. Um, Yeah. So we very much believe that invention is interdisciplinary, that Mm -hmm. it is, of course, it's the STEM fields, but it's also a lot of art and design. So steam, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. We often incorporate a lot of history into what we're doing too, to kind of provide Um, We're in a history museum, so to provide some historical grounding to things that, you know, inventors, most problems that we're working on now, people have been working on for a long time. It's just Mm -hmm. we might have, um, you know, different ways of of, uh, working on, you know, kind of approaching them because we have different technologies. So, you know, when we're working with kids, we really think about, you know, we try to frame, uh, present a very open-ended challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. So we would never say, like, invent an airplane. It would never be that specific. We might say, can you invent something that can um, travel from point A to point B without touching the ground? Yeah. Um, And so that opens it up quite a lot. I mean, if you ask somebody to invent an airplane, it brings up a very specific thing. And then you're not really inventing. You're kind of just (laughs) recreating something. But if you're, you know, inventing something that can go from point A to point B without touching the ground, it could be an airplane. Mm -hmm. It could be lots of different kinds of things. It could be a catapult of some sort, Mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of ways that you could achieve that. Um, we also don't really, we don't teach any um, real, like, we're not teaching hard scientific concepts. Okay. Um, certainly, if someone is building something um, to fly, you know, we might be able to ta- use that opportunity to talk about, well, why does something fly or how does something fly? But that isn't really the point of the exercise. That would, we would really only do that if someone had 
a question about it or really needed that information to help them with their invention. It's really about, you know, getting the child to think about, well, this is my idea and how do I make that idea happen? And then what we do is kind of support them in whatever way they need. Wow. And sometimes that's providing content knowledge. Sometimes that's, you know, helping them through a trouble spot. Sometimes that's, that's suggesting, well, what if you tried this material? How would that work out? You know, it's kind of, it, so it varies from child to child what that looks like. That's amazing. And I was, I was actually really blown away. I looked at your, um, what was it called? The Invent It Challenge that you just announced the winners uh-huh. of. And I was just like, oh, that's so cute. These kids are going to invent something. And then I looked at the winners and was like, good grief. <laughs> I know some very advanced <laughs> things. Um, and I love how, like, I, when I sort of read through it, it was just like an environmental issue and solve it in a, a planet-friendly way. Like, that's a huge, broad, like, mm-hmm. they really get to just send their brains out there. And I, I just, it's really, really fascinating. I mean, were, the, were these kinds of inventions things they were just doing at home or with teachers in school? Or was it yeah, Spark mean, Lab? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, these are things that um, most people that participate in the Invented Challenge, which is the online competition, you know, they're not going to visit us in our Spark Lab. They're all over the world. Um, so they're doing these things at home or, you know, in a classroom or with a scout group, something like that. That's great. I mean, for example, like one of the kids who's 14 and over has made a graphene oxide-based water filtration system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> the 8 to 10 uh, – I wouldn't even know what this is. Prequal M personal environmental quality monitor. She's 10. And I know. I, <laughs> that's fantastic that they're learning and um, doing these kinds of things. Um, wow. Well, this is covering everything from like on your website, AI, cybersecurity to instant coffee, um, just the huge broad amount of you know, categories just is mind, mind blowing. Um, but the reason why I wanted you on this particular podcast and why I was interested in what you were talking about at the play conference is that you believe that play is important to the invention process. And I just kind of wanted to now kind of dive into that with you and learn more about what you mean by that. Yeah, um, so a number of years ago, the Lemelson Center was working on, was it's going to develop an exhibition on invention, and, and which is obviously a very broad topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started um, just trying to, you know, kind of obviously narrow that down. And it was interesting when we talked to contemporary inventors, but also when we looked in the historic record of people like Alexander Graham Bell and um, Thomas Edison, you know, there would be this discussion of, playfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, with obviously we couldn't probe that with some of our historic inventors, but with the, you know, inventors that we work with now, we were able to probe that a little more and and try to understand, you know, what's this business about play and the invention process. And Mm -hmm. so a couple things came out was one, the importance of play when they were kids and how that led them to be, you know, open-ended thinkers and um, creative thinkers and sort of how that they were able to build on that foundation, but also how they keep a playful approach in their work now. Mm-hmm. That invention, you know, obviously they might be working on serious problems and big issues, but, you know, keeping an open mind, thinking about creative ways to approach something, um, just um, – you know, Stephanie Qualick, who invented Kevlar, used to talk about the importance of being able to play around with things, you know, both mentally, but also physically. Um, And so it was kind of an interesting thread to Hmm. think about, you know, what we do in childhood, and then um, how that influences, you know, us as we grow up. Wow, what kind of what kind of like activities or 
like how do you incorporate play into spark lab and the kinds of things you do there um, I think just the, the nature of some of the challenges are very playful. Like right now we have an activity in Spark Lab that's about um, inventing a home for a pet, um, which I think is really fun. And it could be, you know, we've got kids inventing things for like dogs and cats, but also, you know, what if I wanted to have a pet lobster? You know, what would that <laughs> look like? So being a little bit fanciful, um, um, but still being able to use, you know, important skills and develop and practice, you know, important skills and behaviors. Um, also, the types of materials that we use are often quite playful, um, just the mix of things. So at the Invent a, pet, pet, a Home for Your Pet activity, we've got everything from like PVC pipes to um, this really cool um, plastic flexible netting to um, different sheets of plastic and everything has holes drilled in them and different hardware that you can connect them. And oh, so it's so just kind cool. of an interesting mix of things yeah. um, that really lend themselves to lots of different solutions. That's amazing. And you know, it's funny because it just reminds me just having all these materials and the playfulness is kind of of a uh, Pat Roomba was on. She was the final speaker there at the conference a couple weeks ago. And she said she just to talk about free play and the importance of that experimenting and playing and just coming up with mm -hmm. things and having sparking ideas in the moment. Um, it almost sounds like it's kind of free play around a concept and just then it comes, then it turns into something. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really just about, you know, pre presenting a question that, that prevent, you know, presents an invention challenge and then a kind of a range of materials. And then it's really up to, you know, the kids that visit us to take their own ideas um, from their head to a 3D prototype. We have staff and volunteers who are there that can help facilitate it with them, but they're not, they're not teachers, you know, they're not instructors. Like you don't see in Spark Lab, you won't see any instructions. You won't see samples of what kids are supposed to produce because there really is no expected outcome. And we, Ooh. what we would, we will, this, what we would love to see, I mean, our goal would be for every child that comes in to develop something different. That's amazing. That, I, I really, really wish that was a part of my educational process as a kid. I, it's just so exciting because I feel like now, like I was saying at the beginning, it, it's, it's kind of this thing that's segmented off into another world. But we had recently on, well, it was a little about huh, several months ago, um, Alana Ben-Ari, who invented a game to help people, help to, to help teach empathy, um, whether it's hmm. in the workplace or you know, um, for kids in schools and that kind of thing, it's being used all over the place. But it just seems like there are new problems that haven't even been thought of yet. <laughs> um, mm -hmm, yeah. Just the soft skills that are necessary for today's workforce and things like that. Who would have thought that an actual object could be created to help that to help, help solve that problem? Right. <laughs> um, but she's kind of a special case. She was kind of a part of this kind of world from the beginning and was in, involved in inventing things. But I think it's more of a mindset than it is a engineering ability or, you know, an aptitude toward a certain type of building process. I mean, is it is it hard to teach kids that openness or are they just kind of prone to accept it right off the bat because they're so young? You know, it's, I would say most kids are really open to it. Mm -hmm. um, often it's the grown-ups that are a little uncomfortable with it. And <laughs> You know, as you know, this time of year, we get a lot of middle schoolers that are coming to Washington, D.C., you know, for like an eighth grade field trip. So we get a lot of older students mm -hmm. and they are also often um, 
take mo- more kind of coaxing to get them in. You know, mm. I think part of it is they want to look cool around their friends, but I think the other part is they're older and they've been in school longer and, and are less free thinking. You know, unfortunately, I think we're so much of education is teaching kids to get the right answer for a yes. test. And we are so the opposite of that. But I will say most once kids um, kind of get going, they're usually it's usually they free up pretty easily. Um, huh. You know, and often you'll see kids start at one activity. They're a little uncertain, but once they have success there, like they'll go somewhere else and really dive in. So really? they just a bit of like to whet their appetite and to um, prove to themselves that they can do it. Interesting. I, I kind of want to tease out one of the things that you, how you described it, the coaxing, because I feel like that's like a big problem in general. I mean, just with playing and with letting people like to, to set people free to explore all, any kind of thing, you know, just sort of get out of their mindset. I feel, I feel like just adolescence, the onset of adolescence becomes this time where a lot of creative doors just fly shut and we're, mm-hmm. we're expected to start thinking in certain directions and start thinking of the future and goals and being practical and not having all of these wild dreams anymore. Um, or as a, a Treyu's father, I mean, as Bastion's father said in Never Ending Story, it's time to keep your feet on the ground, Bastion, you know, <laughs> stop, right. <laughs> stop, get your head out of the clouds. Um, but what would you say is kind of a, a, a way you could coax them? I'm thinking of like people who might be out there who like me, who missed the boat, who never really mm-hmm. had an opportunity to see myself in that light. Like, how would you, how do you coax someone that's kind of already shut down into, I don't know, thinking differently? <laughs> I mean, one of the things, like, I, I do a lot of workshops with, you know, teachers and mm-hmm. museum professionals and things, and like the one I did at, in, um, at the play conference. And one of the things that I do is I start my presentation off by asking the group, you know, what else can you do with a paperclip? You know, we all know mm. what a paperclip was invented for, but what are other ways that we can use it? And so, so how, how would you answer that question? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Um, I thought of when the little thing falls off of your suitcase, the zipper handle, and then I can stick a paperclip on there and use my zipper again. <laughs> That's a great, that's a great answer. Um, surprisingly, the number one answer I get is pick a lock. Ooh. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, we'll go through, a, you know, probably half a dozen or more um, ideas. And, you know, like that is being inventive. Yeah. You're not inventing a product, mm-hmm. but like every single day we do things like that where we're figuring out ways to solve problems. Mm. And so I think sometimes just by pointing that out, mm-hmm. um, you know, or posing, you know, if I had a child in Spark Lab, I might say, well, what might you do with this, you know, mm-hmm. like a single material and have them come up with an idea. And so you see, that's, that's, that's the thinking. That's how inventors think. Yeah. Um, and so I think just kind of opening up like, oh, wow, I do that. You know, maybe I'm not going to invent a product. I'm not going to have a patent, but I solve problems every single day of my life. Absolutely. And so really getting people to sort of understand um, that that's what inventors do. Mm-hmm. And really try to, because inventor, and we do know through our research that, you know, in, invention is really cool to people, but inventors are very other. People think, oh, like yes. that's, they're not like me. Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out ways to kind of personalize inventors and make them more relevant and make people connect the work of inventors to what we do every day. Absolutely. And I, I can't help but think too, um, uh, that an invention also can be, I don't know what you would call it, um, 
I'm thinking of um, Muhammad Yunus, who's one of my heroes in the, whole, oh, uh-huh. in the world and how he invented, he's seen, I know there are others, I think in South America, there were other um, leaders and, but he's kind of seen as the father of microfinance um, from uh-huh. Bangladesh. And I always love the story of how he's like just watching these problems happening in his community outside of his ivory tower and his university and going, how can I solve this? And he kind of turned this financial services product on its head, um, the basic mm-hmm. loan. And now it's all over the world. There's a Grameen America here in downtown LA. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I love because just to sort of tie in the children's thing, he always talks about, you know, helping children in other parts of the world. He's like, I was one of nine. And, I, and I'm and i so glad that I, we had the resources so that I was alive to invent microfinance if this is helping people. Um, but children mm-hmm. out there in the world right now are just like, cooking up ideas that could change the world. And so my point is that it feels like when I think of inventing, I think of objects and and physical things, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but there also are inventions that are, I don't know, financial services products aren't necessarily physical things, but they're definitely important. Right, they're processes (laughs) or, you know, there's lots of social innovation. Yeah, I mean, I think we tend to focus on the physical product, but you're absolutely right that, you know, microfinance was an invention Mm -hmm. um, and it was a different way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of inventions, whether they're products or concepts like that, they are. And and every single person out there in their workplace right now that might not see themselves in as inventor, they're they're solving problems every day. And maybe it's just like if there was a switch we could flip in people's minds to remind us how fantastic we are as human beings <laughs> that we have mm-hmm. these abilities to take things out turn them around try a different material like there are all kinds of ways to reinvent the world around you every day and it's exciting yes. that you guys are doing this um and yeah so you guys have spark lab you guys are going um outside of of the mall i guess you're going all over the world with it or and we do we yeah, I mean, we're mostly in the U.S., but we've mm-hmm. done a few international product projects. But we partner with other museums um, in other communities to open Spark Labs um, in their institutions. So we currently have um, five sites. We're getting ready to open our sixth one outside of Washington next month, and then we have mm. a seventh coming later this year. And so we're growing really quick. You know, we're growing well right now, which is really exciting. So um, there seems to be a real interest for this kind of hands-on learning, um, yeah. you know, in lots of communities uh, across the U.S., which is really great. Yeah, it's really great. And, 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 and there are ways that kids can participate without being at a Spark Lab, like the kind of um, the uh, Invented Challenge, things like that, I guess, for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, what yep. are some other ways that if someone was interested, I know you kind of have a try this at home, what kind of things can people find on your website that they might be able to try with their kids or, um, you know, why would, what, what can they find there? Yeah, I mean, there's some different um, experiments and activities, um, suggestions for things that you can do at home or in the classroom that use really simple, you know, easy, easily accessible um, materials. We're real big believers in using recyclables, you know, mm. things that you have at your fingertips. Um, but the other thing, I mean, so there's those resources. And I think the other thing is, you know, just giving kids, you know, the recycling bin and some scissors and tape and saying, you know, what can you invent with this? Or Ooh. looking around your house, like what are the things that you 
or your kids complain about all the time that you wish was different. Well, is there a way that you can invent something to solve that? Or, you know, is there something in your community or at school that really is frustrating? Um, and really think about, you know, what would make a difference in your life? Because chances are it would make a difference in someone else's life as well. Oh, wow. That's great. Wow. It's like, yeah, that would be, that's an activity I don't think my, most of my parents, parent friends have thought of. <laughs> right. Into the recycle <laughs> bin. That's wonderful. And it's also exciting to me that the Smithsonian, that this is coming out of a museum. Sometimes it feels like when you hear the word museum, I worked at one here in LA for a while. It was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. Um, um, but you hear the word museum and it feels, oh, it's stuffy. It's it's old things. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not current. It's not, you know, but this is being sponsored by America's premier history museum. And, you know, can you kind of talk about like the the how this started and the woman who, who was the driving force behind it? Um, so, yeah, so the Lemelson Center was founded here at the Museum of American History at the Smithsonian in 1995 mm-hmm. by um, Jerome Lemelson and his wife, Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lemelson was a lifelong inventor. Mm. Um, he has over 600 patents in his name um, and invented toys and electronics and medical devices, lots of different things. Um, and he and his wife... Um, you know, decided once, you know, once he had made some money from his inventions, which happened quite late in his life, you know, they really wanted to give back. And mm. so they, um, you know, they, they had had a relationship with the Smithsonian um, for some time and really envisioned a place where, um, you know, scholars and academics could come to research the history of invention and innovation mm-hmm in American history and use the collections from the museum, um, but also a place that would do a lot of public outreach that would help to educate people, people about the role of invention and innovation in history, and then provide particularly young people opportunities for hands-on inventing. Um, and this was the mid-90s, and already they were really concerned about the lack of hands-on learning that was um, happening in schools. And Mm -hmm. we know it's just gotten worse since then. Um, And so we're, you know, here we are, you know, we have a center that has has this kind of, um, I don't want to say split because we're not split, but this sort of twofold mission of, you know, continuing to contribute to the scholarly understanding of invention innovation. And then how do we use that research that then we create experiences that are interesting and educational for the public? That's amazing. That is really beautiful. And and just to think like this, a museum that studies history is actually going to be a part of creating history um, and keeping like who knows what some of the little inventors that are coming through your spark labs are going to be <laughs> maybe some of their items will be in the smithsonian someday <laughs> i know i have um our former director of the lemelson center is says to me you know someday somebody's going to get up to win a nobel prize and mm-hmm. they're going to about getting their start in Spark Lab. So that's what we dream of. <laughs> that's amazing. I certainly hope that is the case one of these days too. So I'm definitely going to come visit when I make it out to DC the next time. I have a, my mother-in-law lives out there. So I'm going to have to oh, great. make a little trip out. And I'm just so glad I had a chance to meet you. That was such a great conference and I got to meet so many amazing people. So yeah, likewise, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And um, I will. What, what would you say if somebody was interested, just visit your website? Are there any exciting things coming up that they should know about? Um, yeah, I would say visit, visit our website. Um, and in Spark Lab, we change our activities every four months. So there's okay. always almost always something new to do. So our next change will happen in August. Okay. Um, there's a whole new suite of things um, to uh, see and do. Great. And, and, and if you go on there right now, there's still the Try This at Home stuff. There's a toolkit for developing innovators. Um, and for the, you know, 
adults. I always say if something is true for children and play, it's also true for adults. And, you know, there's no reason we can't get out there and take our own recycling bin out and see what we might come up with. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a lot of packing materials um, oh. <laughs> that, are, <laughs> that I can play with now and they come in all shapes and sizes. We'll see what I come up with. Um, there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, Trisha. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Well, what are you waiting for? Go get your recycling bin. Get to work. You never know what amazing thing you've yet to come up with. And of course, visit playgrounding.com 31 to find links to Spark Labs and see what Trisha and the Lemelson Center have been up to. See you next time when we'll start exploring the question, can fitness really be fun? I mean, really? And I'm not just talking about you gym rats. What about those of you who hate gyms? Can it really be fun? Let's get ready to find out. See you next time.